I've got a quick question. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but it came to my mind this morning. I just wanted to check to see if I'm weird or not. Uh, no, no responses there yet. We stopped, kind of what we do on, on Sunday mornings, we stop at McDonald's, I get Rita some coffee, and uh, I, I get a breakfast sandwich and, and something to drink and, um, and, and head here. And uh, today I, I got a sandwich, Rita didn't want anything. And, uh, but I also got a, a hash brown and I, I handed it to her and she ate you know, some of my hash brown and then she reached over and grabbed my sandwich and took a bite and, and then I offered her another bite a little later on. And then at the, at the very, and I was feeling, she wasn't feeling real good this morning, so I, I just felt like I needed to be extra special to her. So I handed her, and this is where I'm, the question I have for y'all, I handed her the last bite. I had just a little bit left. I handed her the last bite. This is the question. That's hard for me to let someone, if I share, to have the last bite. Is anyone else like that? You share with your wife, but you don't want, oh, I'm not the only one. Thank you. Even a girl that's, you're like that too? Amen. So you're really, yeah, exactly. So what made it worse is it was just a little bite, and she took, she nibbled three times on this. I'm, about ripped it back out of her hand, like, give me my last bite back. But, uh, but okay, I just wanted to check to see if I was weird or not. Uh, and I might still be weird, but there's a couple other weird people here today as well. So it was several years ago, Reed and I were back in, uh, uh, in Illinois, where I grew up and uh, visiting family. And we're out at my grandparents' uh, house, and, and I was visiting with my, my grandparents. When they were younger, uh, they traveled. In fact, they traveled to all 48 uh, lower states. They always, my grandpa always wanted to go to Alaska, but he wouldn't have flown. He wanted to drive, but grandma wouldn't let him do it. So they'd been to all 48 uh, lower states and uh, and loved to travel. So we were there. Rita and I had been married a few years. Maybe the boys, I think the boys were little. And uh, and, and I was visiting with them, and I said, uh, ask them this question. See, they had stopped traveling. They they'd got up in age and, and uh, health issues and, and just weren't able to travel anymore. So I asked him, Grandma and Grandpa, if you could go back to one place, if you could travel back to one place that you've been in all your travels, where would you go? And almost in unison, they responded with the same answer, the Million Dollar Highway. Have any of you ever been on the Million Dollar Highway? Seriously. Man, I, I'm going to give you a vacation opportunity here. The Million Dollar Highway is a, uh, is a stretch of highway, 550 in western Colorado that goes Technically from Montrose, Colorado down into uh, New Mexico, but technically the million dollar highway part goes from Ouray to uh, Colorado to Silverton, Colorado. Uh, and it is a, an amazing drive. Um, a, a drive and wind your, your way through the mountains. Just beautiful. And my grandparents said if we could go anywhere, we'd go back to, to western Colorado and drive the million dollar highway. I, I cataloged that. In fact, I told them, you know, I'm going to take my boys there. I'm going to take my kids there, and maybe even my wife. I'm going to take, we're going to go to that million-dollar highway. So a few years later, the North American Christian Convention was in Denver. So we planned our trip. We were going to do that, and we were going to go to Durango, Colorado, and do and a bunch of other stuff on that same trip. Uh, and we told some people in the church, and a lady before we left, a little old lady came up to us and said, if you're going to Durango, you have to do this. She said, you have to ride the Durango to Silverton narrow gauge railroad. Any of you done that? Okay, someone's done that and you didn't ride, drive the million dollar highway? Come on. Maybe you didn't know, you probably drove and didn't realize it. Um, but said, you have to go on this train. So, so we put that in our chairs. We got to, to, uh, uh, we, we got to Durango and, and we bought our tickets. And I tell you what, if, if you want to see some amazing scenery, uh, it, it's a narrow gauge railroad steam engine, uh, train that takes you through the mountains. 
And if you do, you have two options, or you did back then. You can get a closed car, open car. I suggest the open car, and I suggest you get in the last car. We got lucky, and that's where we ended up. Uh, the, the views are amazing. Oh, it was an amazing trip. It's about a two-hour train ride from, from Durango to Silverton. Silverton's an old mining town that now is a tourist trap. You got into Silverton, you had, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, two hours to kill there and basically shop. So when I was in there, I walked into a, uh, I walked into a store and there was a lady in there with, playing with one of these things. And, and the, the, the cashier, she was doing that and she was just taking it and take it off and say, oh wow, this is easy. And she put it back on and, and then one of the customers would come in there and they would fight with it, kind of like Sherman was a while ago, trying to figure out how, how do you get that off. Then the lady would take it and She'd take it off really quickly like that again. And, and I stood back and watched till my turn came, and I thought, I'm smart. I'm a college graduate, and I can figure that out. And I took it, and I fought, and I fought. And she said, no, it's just like this. And she did it and, and took it off. And she had me hooked. I had to buy one. So I bought this. And then for two hours, for two hours, going from Silverton back to Durango with some of the most beautiful scenery in the world passing me by, I fought with this thing. And people would come back and they would see me and, and one guy grabbed it and he fought a little bit and then he got it. He said, oh yeah, there it is. It's not so hard. This little girl, she had to be 10 years old, came over and picked it up and she said, she fought with a little bit and then, like, it's not that hard. And, and did it. And, and finally, as we pulled into Durango, Two hours later, after missing all the scenery, all the beauty that, that was there to be seen, I finally figured the mystery out. Oh, man, it was a job. And, in fact, I, Sherman, when you get this, just holler. When you get it off, just holler. Let me know that you got it. He said he got it earlier, so we'll see if, uh, if he does. So, um, so we'll, the sermon will be over as soon as you get that off. So, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> We're going to look at Ephesians today, and Paul talks about a mystery. Now, I know you're all going to watch him to see if he can get it figured out, so might not have been my best ploy here. Uh, Paul talks about a mystery. In fact, in, in Ephesians 3, the first 13 verses, and he'd also mentioned it in chapter 1, but, but in Ephesians 3, four different times he talks about mystery. He talks about this mystery. Let's look in Ephesians and see what Paul has for us there. Uh, if you have your, your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 3. I'm going to go ahead and just start off by reading those 13 verses. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, it's kind of a weird break there. He actually picks it up back later in verse 14, so that verse kind of just stands by itself. But here he goes in verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now, he mentioned he'd written it briefly that he could have been referring to some other letter, or he could have been referring to what he had already written uh, to them in the first couple chapters of, uh, of this, this book. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other gen generations, and it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I'm just going to go ahead and stop right, uh, right, right there on, uh, on, on that verse and, and move on. Uh, when Paul uses this word mystery here, he isn't necessarily 
talking about what you might think. It's, it's not a secret. He's not talking about like, like a novel that has clues that would lead you to, uh, to, to an answer. He's not talking like, like you would think of a classic movie, uh, whodunit movie. Instead, what he really means or what he's talking about that mystery, uh, is, is something that was formerly unknown, something that, that was formerly not understood or not recognized or realized that now is understood, that now is revealed to us by God. So the mystery is this. There was something that wasn't understood, particularly in the Old Testament, that now makes sense, that now is revealed and is understood. Let's look at three quick things from the text that we can learn about this mystery. Here's the first thing. The mystery, this is in verses 2 and 3, the mystery is revealed. I apologize I don't have an outline in your bulletins, but if you want to kind of keep notes, here's the first one. The mystery is revealed. Look at verse 2 and 3. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written about briefly. What is the mystery that was revealed to Paul? Well, well really it's kind of two things there. The first part of that mystery is simply this. It's what Paul had already been writing about. It's what he he came to understand and what he was trying to get the church at Ephesus to understand and consequently then trying to get us to understand and to buy into and believe. And here's that, that point. It's grace, not works. It's not about what, what he did or what he could do. It's about grace. Paul hammers that. Now, now let me ask this question. What system did Paul come out of? He came out of a law system that was rooted in performance. There were rules, regulation, things to do, things not to do, things to avoid. Always measuring yourself against a standard of perfection and all too often falling short of measuring up. Now, now let, me, let me just pause and put a little side note here. Uh, hopefully this is not the case. Does that sometimes sound like the church? It shouldn't. But sometimes in the church we become that. Sometimes we get a little rigid like they were under the law. And sometimes we, t- we take a system and we think, well, we've got to measure up. We've got to do this and we've got to do that. And, and we don't f- quite get there. And Paul, it was revealed to him, this was the mystery, that it's not about that stuff, Paul. It's about grace. Last week it was announced that, uh, that our own case killer was uh, was uh, selected as camper of the week at junior high camp two weeks ago. I don't know Case that well either. He's a really impressive kid, or they had a, you know, had a, the bar was really low that week. But I think he's a good kid. Uh, he ke- hooks me up with my, my mic every week. He's a, he's a good kid. Um, I was telling him, I was talking to him about that at, at, uh, at the end of last week's service, and, and I told him this story. Years ago, I was at Mission Lake Christian Camp. Uh, for, for a junior week of camp, uh, Dan Muter, who was the pastor at DeKalb Christian Church, was the dean. I was the co-dean or assistant dean, and, and we were at the camp. And, and there was a little guy that had came to that camp that day, and he was brought there by Marvin Jameson. Some of you might, have, might know Marvin, might have remembered him. He used to preach at the Effingham Christian Church. And Marvin had kind of adopted, he and his wife had, had adopted this family. They had kind of a rough home life, and, and there were several kids, and they'd kind of really you know, bought them clothes and looked after them, took them to church, and and, and he brought this little boy to camp that week. Two weeks earlier at senior high, this little guy's older brother had got elected camper of the week. 
was sharp kid. He was camper. <laughs> and this little guy came to, week, to, to camp at junior week, and that was his goal. He wanted to be camper of the week. Now, and that's a good thing to do. Case went, is Case still back there, or did he bug out? He went downstairs. I, so I could say more stuff about him then, couldn't I? But, uh, you know, Case might want to go next year or senior high and be camper of the week. But what was a little bit different about this guy is he made sure everyone knew that. He went up to Dan and then to me and every other staff member that he could find and said, what do I need to do to be camper of the week? And at first it was kind of cute, you know, he's like, okay, and, you know, we just kind of gave him an overview. Well, you know, it's we're looking for the kid that, you know, does his memory work and, you know, has a good attitude and all this. And that little guy, he, I mean, he worked his tail off that week to be camper. He got up every morning at like 5.30, whenever the, 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 the uh, camp cook, which was Marvin's wife, would go in the kitchen, and he helped cook breakfast every day. And then he would say, hey, I helped her cook breakfast today. Can I be camper of the week? And, and, and then he tried every, I mean, if you needed something, he would jump and do, I mean, he just, uh, I'm almost embarrassed, I didn't tell Casey, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, that some of the staff members, I don't think it was me, but some of the staff members then took advantage of that. You know, you're at lunch, you need your lemonade refilled, like over here, and he would jump up and go get your lemonade filled. I mean, all, I mean, we, I mean, they took advantage of that all the time. You know, would get him to do stuff because he wanted to be camper of the week. At the end of the week, he wasn't camper of the week. He, he had, he had worked, he had worked harder than anyone else in camp. He had served, he had been helpful, he had been complimentary, but he wasn't camp of the week. Why? He missed the point. See, it wasn't about how much good you could do or he could do. It wasn't about his work. Camp of the week, when we discussed it and talked about it, was about something different. It, it was about the heart. It wasn't about how much I can do. It's really about the heart. See, the mystery that's been revealed to Paul is, Paul, it's not about work. It's not about what you've done. We'll see a verse later when Paul describes his past life in, uh, in, uh, uh, under the law. It, it's not about what you've done. It's about the heart of God and his grace poured out on us. What a revelation. What a revelation. Paul's been hammering in this book. What a revelation that it's not about works. It's not about what I do or have to do or might do or could do or whatever. It's not what it's about. The mystery is it's about grace. Wow, what, that is, that, that's powerful. Have you ever tried to measure up and you couldn't quite fit the bill? Uh, maybe, you're in, maybe you're a teenager uh, 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 in elementary school and you're in school or maybe some of you can remember back to those days, uh, harken back to those days and you tried to measure up with the GPA or maybe you wanted to be straight A student and Boy, you just couldn't quite measure up. You tried, but you couldn't. Or maybe it, maybe it dealt with athletics, and, and you want to be the best. You want to be the starting point guard. You want to be the quarterback you wanted. Or, or maybe there was an older brother, an older sister that you wanted to, boy, if I could reach their athleticism, and if I could reach their, their abilities, and, and you didn't quite measure up. Or maybe, boy, I wish I could be that popular. I wish I could be the kid that everyone wanted to be around. Or, or maybe for some of you, it's at work. And boy, if I could just hit that sales target, if I could just get advanced to that place in the company, but somehow you just don't measure up. Or maybe it's even with your spouse. 
Some of you ladies might be thinking, if I could just look that pretty, or if I could just fit back into that dress, or lose this number of pounds, or do this good thing, then I'd measure up, but maybe you don't get there. Or maybe husbands, you're, you're thinking, if I could just provide for my family the financial security that they want, or that I want to give them, but man, I just don't measure up. Or, or, or far too often that seeps into our, our walk with the Lord, it seeps into the church. And we think, boy, if I could only be that holy, if I could only get rid of the guilt, if I could only get rid of the regrets in my life, if I could only get rid of that sin that that seems to whip me all the time, if I could only conquer that, but I can't. Let, Let me share with you the mystery that Paul was understanding here. When it comes to God, you measure up. Not because of what you do or can do or have done, but because of what he's done. See, the, the mystery is, uh, the mystery, it's not works, it's grace. Here's the second, it's kind of cool. Here's the second part of that mystery that Paul had revealed to him. And, and it's simply this, it's you. Paul, it's you. Verse two, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul's saying, I was shown God's grace so that I could be in charge of showing you that grace. He goes on in, uh, uh, in verses 7, uh, I have become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The, the mystery revealed to Paul was that it was him. He was the one that God had chosen for whatever reason. He was the one that God had said, you will be the apostle to the Gentiles. You will be at the, at the tip of the spear. You will be the one that is taking, uh, taking the gospel, uh, taking the gospel to, uh, the, the Gentiles. It illustrates God's sense of humor that he chose Paul to the apostle to the Gentiles, this, this Jew of Jew. In, in, in fact, Paul describes him this, himself this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says this, If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but he goes on to say, and you can read on even verses after this, this is verse 7, but whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Uh, if God had given Paul an aptitude test, once he had been converted and Ananias had, had gone to him and preached the gospel to him and, and baptized him, if, if, if once that had happened, if God had given him an aptitude test to see where he would best be fitted in the kingdom, I think it probably would have been Paul... You need to minister to the Jews. You understand the Jews. In fact, I think it would be even more precise than that. Paul should have been the apostle to the Pharisees. Who better to go to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees? Who better to go to them than Paul? He understood them. He knew exactly what was going on in their hearts. But instead, God sent him to the Gentiles. Let me make this application, and we'll move on. What's God got in store for you? 
Paul was surprised on the, the road to Damascus when the bright light showed and, and, and he reached conversion. When he come to, boy, that was, that was a surprise. But even more so, he was surprised when God said to him, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Wow. What's God got in store for you? Maybe God's got something planned that, for you that, man, you had no idea God was going to use you that way. Steve Smith uh, teaches at a residential treatment center in Denver. As, uh, uh, and, and the center is for troubled teens, particularly boys. As part of their rehabilitation, these teens are often encouraged to participate in community service. Uh, oftentimes, not that it's sentenced, but that it's part of their, uh, part of their re- recovery and rehabilitation, and, and they're asked to volunteer. Uh, but these kids, whenever they're asked to do anything, whenever any demands are put on them, they feel like it's a sentence. See, they come to this center broken in spirit and often addicted to substances, uh, oftentimes rebellious to the point of not being able to be controlled. Steve Smith tells this story, though. He said they went one time to an inner-city church, a small little church in inner-city uh, Denver, Colorado. And, and while they were there, they painted the church, and they did a few small repairs around the property and, and to the building. And they stopped for lunch, and, and some, of the, some of the people from the church, some of the elderly people in the church served them lunch. And then one of the, one of the ladies sat down at the table with the guys and began to, to talk with the, the boys, and she said this to them. She said, boys... You are an answer to prayer. Thank you for coming today. On the ride in the van back to the treatment facility, Steve got their attention and he said this, I bet you never thought that you'd be the answer to someone's prayer. See, all they'd ever seen, all they'd been, ever been described as and seen as was trouble. And now they were an answer to prayer. The mystery that Paul speaks about is grace. And that God was going to use him to do something that he had no idea that God was going to do. Uh, what's, got God, what's God have in store for you? How is he going to use you? He may have some unexpected opportunities. Here's the second thing. We'll, we'll go quickly here. Here's the second mystery. We see it in verse 4. It's really plain. It's simple. It's going to be obvious. But, but let's talk about it. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Here's the, here's the second thing. The mystery is Jesus. The book of Ephesians is about what Jesus has done for us. It's about being connected uh, to God through His saving work on the, the cross. In particular, it's about uh, him connecting the Gentiles, more specifically the Gentiles or us, back to God. But the mystery is Jesus. Throughout history, people have been trying. Ooh, got loud there all of a sudden. People have been trying to figure out this mystery, trying to figure out how to, how can I find God? How can I know? Over in Acts chapter five, we see that the Gentiles constantly struggle with this idea of how they can connect with with God. Um, uh, and, and know the Messiah. They were always, for generations, looking for the one that was to come and, and redeem them and free them. And in Acts chapter 5, it tells us about that. In Acts 5, the back of the story, the background of the story, is the apostles had been arrested for preaching. They were thrown in jail. But in the middle of the night, an angel came and opened up the, the cell doors and, and told them to go preach in the temple courts. The next morning, the Sanhedrin sent for them. They got the jail. The guards were there. The doors were locked, but no apostles. And then someone said, hey, there 
Aren't those guys you threw in prison? Is that them out there in the temple preaching again? So they ran out there, they brought them in and, and brought them before the Sanhedrin to, to rip, rip them again about preaching the gospel. Peter ended up saying something, well, who, who are we going to obey? Are we going to obey God or are we going to obey you? Uh, after they talked for a while, one of the Pharisees, Gamaliel, said, uh, said let's put these guys out for a second. Uh, I, I need to say something. So in, in Acts chapter 5, verses 34 and 35, this is, what, uh, this is what happens. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be someone, about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of men and people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their person or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Gamaliel didn't realize he was a prophet here. But if it was from, it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men and you will only find yourselves fighting against God. See, the Jews were constantly trying to figure out the mystery. When's the Messiah coming? Who's the Messiah? Someone would raise up and said, I'm the Messiah, that a few would follow him and then it would fall apart. Here Gamaliel is saying, if it's not from God, it's going to fail. But if it is, boy, we can't do anything uh, about it. But, but even, uh, even in the church, we sometimes struggle. We, we struggle with, with this mystery. Who is this Jesus? We struggle. Uh, what is it? Every 15, 20 years, someone will come out with a, a theory about the end times. And they'll, they'll publicize it, and they say the, the Lord's going to come back on such and such a date. I think it was back in 1984, that was a big time, and someone had published all this stuff, and they gave a date that Jesus was coming back this date. That date came and went, and no Jesus. Uh, at, at the year 2000, someone else, a couple other people stood up, hey, the Lord's coming back, I know He's coming back, and boy, it didn't happen. I, I, I often get frustrated at people who try to figure out when Jesus is going to come back, when in Matthew 24, Jesus said himself that no one knows the day or the hour except for the Father. And yet sometimes in the church we get bogged down with trying to figure out a mystery that we don't need to figure out. Here's the mystery. It's Jesus. Or how about our culture? And our culture struggles so because we're trying to figure out the mystery. It really is that age-old question. Who am I? Why am I here? What's this all about? And the truth is, if, if this is all there is, if it's just my life, it's just, if it's just the days I have, then I better live as long as I, I, I can. Nothing wrong with eating healthy and exercising and trying to live as long. I'm going to try to live as long as I can. I want to. But, but if that's all you have, boy, people, man, I've got to live. Or, or, or I've got to do things that satisfy me. Or I've got to look as good as I can. I've got to spit experience as much as I can, or I, I have to have as much pleasure as I can if this is all it is. But it's not. The mystery is Jesus. So what does that mean? If the mystery is Jesus, what does Paul want us to understand from that? He actually has been, 
he's been hammering that. He's been telling that already in, in the chapters and the verses we've looked at. Let me, let me do just a real quick review of some of those we've already talked about. Remember in chapter uh, 1, verse 4, he said, uh, but you were chosen him before creation to be holy and blameless. That's the mystery of Jesus. In verse 5, he said that, that we were chosen to be adopted. That was God looking at us and saying, I want you as my son. I want you as my daughter. Wow, that's, that's the mystery of Jesus. Or in, or in chapter 1, verse 7, and, and let me touch on this. I didn't touch on it when I preached the sermon on this text. But chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption is simply this. Redemption is paying a price. Redemption is buying back. It would have been used in Greek culture when, when you bought back a slave. When you paid the price and, and, and redeemed a slave out of slavery, that's what this word meant, this idea of redemption. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, my mom collected, and I asked Rita, and she said that, that she remembered, uh, if you're under 45, maybe under 50, you won't know this, but she collected S&H stamps. Anyone remember S&H stamps? Don't raise your hand because you're saying how old you are when you do that. <laughs> S&H stamps. What you do, you go to the grocery store, and I don't know, maybe other stores did as well, but when you, when you, you, you checked out, they would give you stamps, and, and you got the number of stamps uh, correlated to how much money you'd spent. So we'd get these stamps, and there were, there were six of us kids, so mom spent a lot at the grocery store. So she'd collect these stamps, and you'd go home, and, and uh, my wife hates when I do this. We were so poor, I mean, we didn't, uh, I mean, this was fun stuff, because we just, we were so poor, we didn't get to do fun stuff. So our fun stuff was getting to lick the stamps and put them in the books. Mom, let's do that. It's like, woo! And uh, so, no, it's my turn to lick the stamps today. And, and uh, But we, we filled these books up, and when Mom got enough of them, I remember going with her to the Redemption Center. It was a little store. I know young people are like, what is he talking about? But it was a little store, and it had all kinds of cool stuff in it. And, and she walked over to the shelf, and she picked up a blender. You mentioned blender uh, in, in your, your meditation. She picked up a blender, and she took it to the counter. And she set it down, and the lady said, that'll be, well, I don't know what it was, 700 S&H stamps. And mom took her books out, and one by one, she put them out there. And really what she was saying was, the price has been paid. I've already spent now, in this case, she was the one spending the money, but the price has been paid. That blender has been redeemed. That, that blender has been purchased. I paid the price for it. And what Paul said in uh, Ephesians 1, 7, when he talks about redemption, that's what Jesus did. He redeemed us. He's already paid the price. I don't care about their sin. I don't care about their past. I don't care about... I pay the price. Chapter 1, verse 18, he talks about hope. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I, I talked, uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I talked with my friend Kelly Kennedy. Uh, Kelly's mother had passed away the day before, and so I just called him to let him know I was thinking about him, to offer my condolences. And, and uh, if you know Kelly, he's a, he's a cool dude. And Kelly, he said, yeah, but yeah, but Timmy, and he calls me Timmy, which doesn't mean I'm giving you permission to do that. Uh, he said, but but Timmy, it, it, was a, it was a great thing. I said, it, it was so hard to watch her. She was in so much pain. But she's with the Lord now. His mom was a believer, and, and, and he's so excited. He said, I was so excited when she passed away. She's with the Lord now, and she has hope. 
and I have hope to see her again. Wow. The hope is that we can see. Reed and I visited yesterday at, at, at his mom's funeral. We, after the funeral, we visited with J.L. I think it's Robertson. He's the owner of Rupp Funeral Home. And we, I don't even know how we got on the conversation, but we, we started talking about believers and doing funerals. And J.L. said, yeah, so, you know, some funerals are really tough. Some families are hard to work with. And he made the point, but when you're working with families of believers, it's so much easier. They're so much different if they have hope. <laughs> if they have hope. He goes on and talks about power, and he talks about that we're alive. Uh, see, the mystery is simply Jesus. And, and, and let's finish here, uh, and I'll, I'll just point this out. The mystery is also inclusive. Uh, look what he says there in, uh, uh, starting in verse, uh, I just lost it, uh, verse 5, verse 6, excuse me. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Paul has been hammering this point. It's about the third time that he's hammered this point that they are heirs. He's hammered this point that they are together. Hammered this point that they share in the same family. Gentiles, once you didn't belong, but now you do. The Jews would have thought there's no way Gentiles will be welcomed in. The Gentiles would have thought there's no way we'll be welcomed in. But Paul hammers this home. This mystery is that now you're included. And it's summed up in verse 12. Look at verse 12 and we'll finish here. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. They thought there's no way we can know God. And yet now, because we're heirs of the promise, now because we're included, we can approach God with confidence. What does this mean for me? You might be here this morning and and you look at your life and you're not necessarily happy with where you are. You're not, not necessarily happy with where you are spiritually. Maybe you, you look and there's guilt and there's, there's regrets and there's pain and there's, there's disappointments. But, but what we learn from this is you don't have to stay there. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and you said, you know, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. I think things are going well and things are good. Well, then I've got a message for you. Maybe it won't be quite, quite all that, that good for you to hear. But here's the message. God doesn't want you to stay there. God has more for you to do. He wants to redefine who you are and who you're going to be. In uh, 1866, Alfred Nobel, who was a pacifist by, uh, by, uh, by temperament, but a, an inventor by nature, patented the process of turning nitroglycerin into dynamite. He thought that this discovery would be great because it would end all wars. Surely with the discovery of dynamite, they would realize the chaos that would happen with it and, 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 and people would cringe at the very thought of the carnage and war would be no more. But he was wrong. Soon his invention was being used to annihilate thousands. In 1988, when Alfred's brother Ludwig passed away, the paper in his hometown mistakenly published Alfred's obituary. In the obituary, it referred to him as the merchant of death. 
Few people have the opportunity to see how they will be remembered firsthand, but Alfred did. Not wanting to be remembered as a merchant of death, he redirected the course and the cause of his life. So years later, in 1896, when he passed away, his friends and all of his relatives were surprised when they read his will to find that he gave approximately 94% of all of his wealth to be used to give away five prizes. It was to be given to the people who in the preceding year had conferred the greatest benefit on mankind. These prizes have become known as the Nobel Prizes. They're awarded every year, have been since 1901, to leaders in physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. Alfred, Alfred Nobel's name is now and will for always be associated not with death, but with peace the Nobel Peace Prize. What does God have planned for you? What is the mystery he has in your heart and in your life? The mystery was revealed to Paul. It was about grace. Paul, it's not about what you've done. It's grace. And I've got something in store for you that, boy, you never would have thought of, Paul. And it's really simple. The mystery is Jesus. Not any more complicated, not any more difficult than that. The mystery is Jesus. And you know what? We belong. I don't care who you are. We're together uh, as, as the body of Christ. What can God do with your life? What is his plan for you? Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we... We lift up today uh, the word that you've shared with us in, in, in chapter 3. Father, the mystery uh, is not one that's not known. Instead, as Paul talks, the mystery is one that is known. And that mystery simply is you and your grace in our life and your hope for us and your inclusion that you have for us uh, in your plan. Father, today there's people here that, that aren't sure what you want from them. There's people here today that maybe are very comfortable with where they are and you'd speak the same message to both of them, I want to move you somewhere else. I can take you to a place where you're, you're serving me uh, in ways you had no idea. Father, open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. As the worship team plays, would you stand? If you need to share a decision, you need to share a thought, would you come as we sing?